Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with award-winning authors across the genres. My conversation with a slam poet and performance artist Sabrina Benaim is up there. Interesting young woman, an interesting life, great take on poetry and performance, and a ah, fun conversation. You can check that out at authormagazine.org. And we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You can learn more about them and their fabulous organization at pnwa.org. Well, I had a great conversation with uh, today's guest, Mr. Farhad Dadi Bajour. He uh, he's based in Mumbai, and uh, he's been an entertainment and lifestyle journalist for more than 20 years. He has written for many publications and held several senior editorial positions, including at DNA Newspaper as launch editor at the international men's magazine FHM, and currently at the Leela Magazine. He also has a popular blog of his own, My Good Life, in which he covers food, travel, culture, and fashion. His debut novel, uh, How I Got Lucky, which was published by Penguin, was a satire in India's celebrity culture and was hailed as racy, sexy, and riotous by Vogue India. And The Other Man is his American fiction debut and most likely the first gay rom-com that is set in modern-day Mumbai. And we had a great conversation about... um, well, a lot of things, uh, a lot about coming out and being gay in India and what that's like. Uh, India only outlawed homosexuality three years ago. So, yeah, pretty interesting. Anyway, great conversation, funny, interesting guy, and uh, I'm glad I get to share it with you. Here it is. Enjoy. Far hot. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. I'm so happy to be here. Well, all right. I, I'm glad to have you on. And uh, I'm speaking to you through the magic of the internet uh, across the globe. We are. You are sitting where right now? Mumbai. Mumbai. Okay. And uh, is this where you have? You were. Were you born in Mumbai, or have you? Or have you? Not that I know India all that well, but is this where you've just relocated? No, no, I'm a complete, it was actually called Bombay when I grew up. And so I'm a complete Bombay boy, uh, you know, born and based and been here as a journalist for over 20 years. And um, I've seen the change in terms of even the name of the city, you know, when I grew up, it was Bombay. And then slowly through the years, it became Mumbai and it became this throbbing metropolis, so to speak, you know, this 24-7 city, really, uh, so to speak. That's interesting. And so... um... So I did not, I, for some reason, I'm sorry, I did not realize that Mumbai, I can't think of a single city in America that has ever changed its name completely. You know? <laughs> now that I think- Well, that happens a lot out here. Does it really? Yeah. yeah. What a, a weird lot of thing to do. And so uh, it's not yeah. weird to you. So what, and is it, was it like one day, okay, people, it's Mumbai now, or was it just this kind of gradual evolutionary shift? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was both, frankly. I mean, it was gradual in the sense that a lot of things get renamed out here. 
um, after um, people who, you know, have worked for the city a lot or are known names or monumental names, so to speak. Right. Um, and things like that. And also, you know, the, the various castes and religions and things like that play a huge role right. in it. Right. But I've grown up in the city of Bombay. So I pretty much refer to it as Bombay. But of course, when you write things and everything, you have to be right. politically correct. So you have to say Mumbai. From you know, that it's angle. funny. It reminds me, I grew up in a place called Providence, Rhode Island, which is a very small city in a small state in a big country. Mm-hmm. And but the way they give directions in Providence, which is is, is very insular community is they describe where things used to be. Go where there used to be a stop sign. Remember where there used to be a CVS? Go there to where there used to be a theater. And that's how they give directions because they live in the past. All right. So you live in a big throbbing metropolis. You were journalist. Was journalism, was that the plan from when you were a young fella? Was that always Not at idea? all. No. There was no plan, actually. <laughs> no plan? <laughs> I mean, there was no plan A, there was no plan B. I mean, I did arts in college I um, because I just liked it in the sense, so I, I did uh, psychology and philosophy. I, hmm. You do a double major on that. Yep. And I sort of knew that my chances of getting a job in anything post that were pretty much nil, but I, I just you did, did it. Psychology? You didn't want to be a psychologist. No, I didn't. I, it just interested me, just the psychology of people, the way people thought, why we did things, all of that just really interested me. Yeah. And I took that up. And frankly, when I left college, um, I had no clue. And I just drifted into, frankly, my first job was actually corporate communications. Ah, okay. And yeah, and it was a big company, Burson Mastella, which is a pretty big, you know, international company also. Um, so they had an Indian counterpart out here. And I joined, joined them and I did that for around two years. But I just left them, even though it was a great place. I was learning a lot. I liked it a lot. The people were great. I just left them telling them that, you know what? I need to do something more creative. I don't know what it is. Right. Um, but I can't speak from the company point of view anymore. I need to speak from my own point oh, of view. Good for you. And Yeah. And I had no clue. Honestly, I didn't think at all it was doing. I actually thought maybe it would be, it would be advertising, frankly, right. at that time. Sure. You know? And um, I, but you know, Bill, honestly, when I think back, a lot of my gravitational pull to journalism was because of the hypocrisy that I saw around me. You know, um, growing up, I grew, uh, I went to college in the early nine, you know, nineties, and at that time, there was really no internet, there was no social media. Um, being gay was pretty tough at that time because there were no conversations around it. You know, there right. was no language around it. Um, yeah, people didn't know how to approach it. And I saw a lot of hypocrisy on that front, you know, which never sat well with me. I mean, a lot of people would. I mean, hypocrisy from the from the gay community or from the the community in general. Just people in general. I mean, there was this there was always this sort of diktat that do what you want, but do it behind closed doors. I, you know, right. And I just don't want to that. We we just don't want to know. It's just too complicated. (laughs) Well, you remember, I don't know if you remember in in the early 90s. I mean, I, I think that. I mean, obviously, the homosexual community in, in America was a, it was we're not quite as conservative as India is, as from what I understand about Indian culture. It's a little more conservative. Uh, probably religion plays even more of a role maybe than it does here. Um, so people were starting to come out. But we had the famous don't ask, don't tell uh, mm. in the military. That's like, well, you can go. Mm. but just don't tell us. So we're not going to. It strikes me mm. that you had that nationwide don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, it? yeah. And, you know, the strange thing is pretty much, it's pretty much an existence still. I mean, I yeah. think that hypocrisy exists. 
but I do have to say, but I think it exists all around the world. You know, people yeah. feel that, um, you know, and it doesn't really matter how rich you are, how well-educated you are, that does not matter. Something like this is pretty common and it, it relates to whether you're gay or whether you're having an affair with a man or a woman or whatever. Right. It's just that thing of don't let everyone know about it. Do what you want to do, but do it quietly. Okay. And that never worked with me, you know? <laughs> and I, I was like, oh, and I think I, that's, that's what drew me to journalism because I felt it would give me a voice in some sense. You know, right. it would allow me to say what I wanted to say, to speak my mind, um, to just develop myself as a person. Um, and, you know, strangely, it all just worked out really well. And I just, I just feel journalism, like the people I met, the people I worked with, very progressive minded. Um, the atmosphere was great. Um, you know, that all of that, just that whole bundle really helped me in that sense, you know, yeah. um, getting a voice of my own which eventually led to the books. You know, if I sure. hadn't had journalism, I don't know whether I would have done the books at all, yeah. frankly. Well, you know? also as a journalist, I mean, so if, if you're dealing with this community where it's like, okay, I'm gay, but the community says, okay, we don't, I just don't want to hear about it. So let's just not talk about it. So we're going to do this. There's the surface reality. And then there's the reality that you know exists, but no one will talk about, which can kind of drive you crazy. Some people are happy yeah. with it, or at least can are comfortable. Yeah. Comfortable. I don't think that's yeah. but. But as a journalist, your job theoretically is to get to the truth, get be right, get to the story yeah. that's not being told. Isn't that, in theory, what you're trying to do anyway? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. that really was. The strange thing is, it was all pretty much subconscious. Like I didn't. It wasn't something that uh, I realized while I was doing it. I I left my job in corporate communications and I started just freelancing for a couple of publications. Um, and that just picked up and slowly I was doing a lot of freelance work and then some great opportunities to join, uh, you know, a, a new magazine came about and, you know, one thing led to another and my career in journalism started, you know, it was never planned. But when I look back at it in hindsight, I definitely do feel that a very strong reason for me, you know, being drawn to journalism was this need to just speak my mind, to not have these layers of hypocrisy, um, to try and get to the truth, like you were saying, you know, in whatever way possible, in however one could at that time, you know? And so you were doing journalism, but it sounds like, so you were doing magazines, so were you doing some feature pieces or not, or were you doing straight sort of like hard, straight reporting or were you doing a- No, no. So I've always been an entertainment and lifestyle journalist. Okay. Uh, you know, all the celebrities. And it, the strange thing is in every publication, you um, sort of change your genre of people that you're interviewing. So in, in some places I was doing mm -hmm. a lot of culture, in some places I was doing uh, a lot of Bollywood people, um, in some places I was doing a lot of fashion. It just depends. I've been in a newspaper, I've been in a couple of magazines, um, you know, things like that. And at each place, you sort of have to uh, work around what that product demands from you, right. you know, and and fit that in. Um, but I did write a lot. So, you know, in the, in the early years, I may not have written a lot on uh, the gay culture because frankly, there, that wasn't there. There wasn't anything to really write about it. it right. That was the whole problem, right? There was no visibility of gay men. Um, so we, that's why the discussions weren't really there. And if they were there, if there were a couple of gay men, it was the stereotypical, you know, shrieky voice, uh, camp, 
right. um, a punchline right. in a play, you know, like right. sort of like an object of ridicule in some sense, you know, yeah. because yeah. people just didn't know what to make of gay men because they yeah. didn't see enough of them. They saw yeah. one or two caricatures. Yeah. I'm just, they just didn't know what to make of them. Um, but I do remember a lot later when I was at a newspaper, I'd gone for one of the first gay Bombay parties, which were the parties that started here. Um, oh, that okay. were a great space. Yeah, it, a lot later. I mean, I'm talking about this would probably be, you know, towards the end of the 90s, uh, okay. you know. Yeah. And I wrote about it. But strangely, that's the whole thing. I wrote about it. I, it was a small piece and came out and a friend of mine from Facebook who I've known since college messages me and she's like, well, what were you doing there? Oh, and you know that's the wow. that's the whole thing. People don't get it, you know, because wow. until you put like sort of like a board on your head, right? Um, until you sort of stream from the rooftops. Yeah. I mean, I I think sometimes people don't get it because honestly, Bill, that that language, that conversation was not there. We didn't. Uh, it was difficult for friends who also thought I might have been gay for them to approach me because they felt that maybe I would feel offended, and also right. I was closeted till twenty eight, so it was even difficult for me to want them to approach me. You right. know what I mean? Like sure. on one hand, I wanted them to, but on the other hand, I was afraid in some sense. Yeah. I know? think people will, people respect the boundaries that you put out consciously or unconsciously. And so if you are unconsciously, yeah. you know, hoping maybe someone, but you wanted, but you were also scared. You were also scared. And what's interesting <laughs> listening to you is it occurs to me, I think that Culturally, it sounds like India is maybe just a decade or two sort of behind the wave that hit America, but the progression is exactly the same. Like everything you were saying about India could have been transferred to what America was doing through the 70s and 80s, say, and probably when I was a kid. There were just a couple little things. It was mostly a joke and there was a kind of a, a parody and then yeah. it gradually began to shift. But it's, yeah. it's, it's, I think there must be some universal human, not just around gay culture, but about anything unknown where we... We start with just this stereotype and then it broadens out to just be human. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll tell you something. So at that time, when I was in college and, and with my friends and stuff, just to give you an idea and the listeners an idea of how difficult it was. At that time, MTV was really big. You know, the pop yeah. stars were the superstars. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, uh, so one night when I was just standing with a really close friend of mine and she wanted to ask me if I was gay, but she didn't know how to do it. So she 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 just went ahead and said like, "Are you a little bit like George Michael?" <laughs> and I, you know, and I'm like, I was like, I'm completely like George Michael, and that's how that conversation was oh, broken. God bless you know? George Michael. He helped me. Yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, another huge another huge personal influence was Madonna. You know, because she yeah. was the only so person. Accepted. And I, yeah, exactly. And I hadn't seen anyone stand up for gay men before. I mean. I only saw that's where she speak. started. She started in yeah. gay clubs. That was her beginning time. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's it's so it's so crazy that, that I'm sitting in in uh, Mumbai out here as a gay kid growing up, and there's you know this white woman across the world who has such an impact. But I think she's done that for a lot of gay men around the world. Yeah. You know, she's yeah. been a strong force. She's been a strong influence. So that's how it really was. You know, we would just sort of hold on to whatever we saw on cable tv through right. you know mtv or oprah or whatever right um because there weren't even any books really at that time well speaking of books okay so we're talking about this we've been spending a long time not about writing but it is relevant because the other man this is book number two yeah that's right so how yeah. i got lucky now was this is this this was published by lake union i know your first book was published by penguin but was it not released in the u.s or was it released 
Was it released? It was only in India released. In, in India. The first okay. book. Oh, yeah. A big market nonetheless. But okay. So The Other Man, Lake Union, this is released in, was released in America in October. Is that the same time it was released in India or is it? Yeah. Yeah. It was a worldwide release. A worldwide release. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, and this tells, this is a kind of a rom-com, I think is a, is an okay yeah. description of it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. About, about gay life in, in India. So it did, obviously we, did you say I want to write a love story based on gay life yes. or was you yeah. really like, I want to go or just like, Oh, I've got this idea. Or you're like, no, I want to deal with this subject. No, no. So, it, so I tell you how it all worked out. Um, my, uh, my literary agent who's actually based in uh, New York when she came down um, around uh, six, seven years ago. And we just met up for the first initial conversation of what my book would be. And the nuts and bolts that I told her the book would be about would be about these two men from, you know, different ethnicities, different ages, different parts of the world, but who are bound by one thing, which is love. Right. So it was a gay love story from the beginning. Um, elements of humor naturally creeped in. Right. Um, but the idea was to write this really lovely gay love story between an Indian guy and a foreigner. Right. Um, and as we progressed, then, you know, the parents became important because parents are a big deal, especially yeah. in India, you know, parental yeah, yeah. acceptance is really big. Yeah. And all the other characters sort of came to life. But it was intentionally always from the beginning um this sweet nice uh gay love story you know yeah. that that was always the plan yeah okay so that was planned from the get-go and and so in your mind when you're writing say a gay love story it it has to it seems to me it eventually has to just become a love story i mean obviously it's about two men so it's gay it's about yeah. a gay relationship yeah but in the end like I would think that part has to be second, secondary to the love part. Has to be secondary to the love part in the end. Right? You know, but the thing is, yeah, but or you maybe know, it's unavoidable I, because it's so much who you are and who you're told not to be. Is yeah, but but you know, Bill, out here, I wanted. I tell you what, I mean, I've very often I've had people ask me, so what does it mean to be gay? You know, and I'm like, how many hours do you have? I mean, how do you explain <laughs> that, right? I mean, it's such a difficult thing to explain. Because people still, you know, either they look at it from a gossip point of view, you know, is so-and-so gay in Hollywood or is so-and-so gay in this thing. I mean, either they look at it on that front, uh, they don't get the whole thing about the loneliness, the whole thing about coming out, how difficult it is to come out. They don't get the language of the gay world, which is top and bottom or grinder or cruising or all those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to get all that inside. I wanted to give them like a ringside view of all of that. Okay, but so it is a much same, about that yeah. too. That just what it is to be a person living this way at this time. Yeah, yeah. So it it um, you know strangely um, when I worked on it, um, it all just sort of developed. Like I said, the other characters just developed as we went along. You know, the right. parents became a very strong aspect because um, parental acceptance. Um, in India, so a large part of the book deals with basically this character, Wade, who's 28. He's this good-looking guy, you know, top industrialist, successful, right. the perfect GQ man, so to speak. Right. But he's closeted. Right. He, you know, which very often happens out here. He gives into his mother's demands of an arranged marriage and says, yes, okay, I'll do it. You know, I'll get right. married to a girl. Right. And at that time, he meets Carlos, 
who's this American visiting India and they fall madly in love. That's the story. And then he's caught right. in that quicksand of, you know, I love this guy. I would love to be with him. But right. there's this huge, big Indian engagement with the who's who coming in, which is a very typical thing out here. You know? Right. Sure, sure. Yeah. So for parents, like the marriage, their children's marriage is like a huge thing. So they plan everything. The crockery comes from somewhere. The cutlery comes from somewhere. The flowers are uploaded from somewhere. So there's this big engagement going on. And I wanted to bring that up because sure, coming out is a universal concept. And that is something everybody around the world deals with, right? As a sure. gay man or woman. That's, sure. that's a big... But uh, what's very peculiar to India is this whole idea of arranged marriage. It's, uh, largely, it's still pretty strong. You know, I mean, it's still pretty. Yes, yes. It's around 80%, if I'm not mistaken. 80? You know, yeah, yeah. Oh, please. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's exactly like that friend of mine from Facebook who asked me, what were you doing at the gay party? Unless you don't tell your parents you're gay, they don't want to. You there's know, one way to get around a, having an arranged marriage. Come out as gay. They can't do it. Now you actually. <laughs> you gotta, you know, so, Bill. But yeah. Bill, I'll tell you something. So, you know, this book has been based on a lot of what I've heard around me, seen around me, sure. uh, stories I've heard. And I've, I've known of guys, young guys, uh, whose parents want them to get married. They come out to their parents yeah. and say, yes, we're gay. But the father will say, you know what? Your wife will make you normal. Get married. <sighs> right. Now you'll right. Need, sure. need a normal sure. life. And I sure. wanted to bring that in, you know, because right. that's how really it is. It's it's that 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 thing, you know, like for, for guys, the cutoff age is 30. By 30, you have to be married because right. the kids have to come, right? For right, girls, right, it's around right, 24. Right. So there's all of that aspect that comes in. So I wanted to bring all of that. So I thought that would be interesting for international readers because I don't think sure. they're really aware of how, how that works out here. Yeah. And I wanted the, the coming out aspect and what it means to be gay for people out here because I think there's lots of stuff they still don't get. You know, there's sure. so many misconceptions. Sure. Um, there's so many cliches, right? I mean, you know, I mean, most people think that you, you're gay if you have a limp wrist or a shrieky voice or if you right. cross-dress. Right. You know, yeah. And I'm like, no, you know what I mean? That's not true at all. But it's also because they see a lot of people like that in, in the media, right? They you see know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of, so as a fan of Hemingway's, and what Hemingway would do is say, no, this is what it's really like to fish, really like to go to war, really like and you're really doing the same thing i if you're doing this really there is no real difference it's like no no this is what it's actually like yeah this is what you but you know what's interesting though farhad is how can you not have a misconception of something that you have never experienced that you have no you know don't you all whatever you've done there's always what you think it is and then you go do it and you go oh this is what it really this is what it really is to be a journalist like how do you really know what it is to be a journalist think of all the things you learned about journalism that you never would have guessed until you were actually a journalist right yeah because but yeah but that's the whole thing bill right because we didn't have visibility of other gay men no and we didn't have this broad spectrum of gay men which i still feel needs to be there you know uh, they they need to see more and more people uh, right. and not just one one sort of how do i say it? a certain flamboyant type of gay man. Sure. That's, that's the image in their heads, you know yeah. what I mean? And that's right. how they conceive gay men to be. Sure. Um, so I wanted to bring a lot of that out. I wanted to bring in also the fact that very often gay men have faced some sort of bullying in school and stuff sure. like that. Sure. Um, the way they grew up, I mean, either, you know, I mean, a, a very common thing out here, which I didn't do personally, but when I researched on it, I found that a lot of 
uh, gay guys played with kitchen sets going up, growing up. You know, these small kitchen sets. So I brought right, yeah, your character it. plays with, he plays with kitchen set. That was one of the, yeah. instead of playing, watching cricket, he was playing with the kitchen set. Yeah, yeah. And and that is based on- And the on parents don't reality. go, hey, what, what, hey, what's going on here? Exactly. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. Until you put a board on your head, I, I don't think parents want to sure. know until sure. you approach them. And even if you approach them, like I told you, it may not be the best case scenario for you. You know, they still might feel that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, out here, a very common thing, um, especially uh, several years ago, I mean, it still goes on, but it was a lot more earlier was, they'd say, go see a psychiatrist. Sure. You know? Yeah. That, well, there's that a lot of that in the common. US too. I mean, especially in the religious community, there's a whole pray it away. Yeah. Thing that's, you know, it's pretty strong. Yeah. Pretty strong. Yeah. And actually, the pray it away thing was started by gay men and women in the Christian community because they were so screwed up. They didn't know how to, they were like, maybe I can get rid of this. So, all right. So you really did. So it's good. So you really had like a, a focus. You had a, I, I'll say a mission a little bit, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so that's great. But then you got to write the thing. Then you actually have yeah. to write it. And that's a different set of challenges. And how did you like, was I, so, and I'm sorry, I didn't get, I didn't, I didn't get a copy of um, how I got lucky. Is that fiction or is that nonfiction? No, that was fiction. That was, was satire. Fiction. Yeah, that right, was very okay. different. That that was like a coming of age of a journalist in the world of media. Got it. Sounds very similar to, to my life, which it was. It sounds. Oh, that's all right. Write like, what oh, you know. Yeah. You know? Exactly. But, so how was writing this thing? So this is more personal. It's fun. It's funny. It's it's lively. It reads along. So it's a fun book. It's not. It is. It heavy is heavy in that way. But it's not. It is a light read, and it was intentionally. Uh, made to be a light read from the beginning because that was another thing um you know a lot of the gay literature i sort of read earlier growing up whether it was alan hollinghurst or edmund white right. uh, larry kramer and all these brilliant authors um it was always pretty de- depressive at its center sure. you sure. know um and i was always wondering like even the movies that i saw whether it was call me by your name or brokeback mountain or moonlight for that matter right. I was like, why, why does it always come across that if you're gay, you're going to leave the sad life? Right. I mean, hello, I'm like, <laughs> like, give us a little bit of hope. I'm not, you know, right. I'm like, give us just a little bit of sun, sunshine. Right. So that was the idea that, listen, let's just make, I mean, everybody who's been in a good relationship and everybody has been in That's one right. knows how wonderful it is to be in love. You know, there's yeah. a bounce in your step. Uh, you feel like, you know, the sun is shining out of, you know, the sky every minute, like, you yep. know, for you. And uh, I, I wanted to bring that out. I wanted to bring out that whole thing of a beautiful, um, lovely love story that gives hope, that empowers people if they're in the same situation or just for other people to understand that, you know what, love is love. Yeah. Like you were saying, right? It doesn't yeah. matter about the fact that it's a gay love story. But I ha- it had to come across at the end. I, as in a person, I had to read it to get that eventually that, you know what? It doesn't matter whether it's two guys or whether right. it's a girl and a guy or two women. Right. But, right. And that was the whole thing to bring about that whole love aspect. Another thing, Bill, which I have not actually mentioned to you, and I don't know whether you know, but being a same-sex relationships were actually criminalized in India yeah, until I, three years yeah. ago. Yeah. Until when? When was uh, it? Until three years ago. Jesus. Yeah. Man. Now, what was that, that, how enforced was that? So the thing is, it was under what was known as Section 377 of the Indian Penal Code. Yeah. And that came about when the British ruled India. So it was right, the British, place. it was illegal in, yeah. in England until what, the 
80s maybe was it is that late I think. yeah so out here it was 1861 when it came into force you can imagine and the British left and it never went. But they still. left that law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the hell? I mean, you yeah. know, that's the whole thing. So, and, but, you know, the, the, the point of that also is the same thing. It's the same thing. There wasn't enough, enough visibility. There wasn't enough of uh, gay men and women who were willing to challenge it, who were willing to come out and challenge something like this. That's the only way it actually went away because there were a lot of people who came out and started uh, yeah. putting these peti- petitions in you know, court and, yeah, and yeah. the conversation began a couple of years ago. So, so you know, it, it, it all adds up that way when you, when you look at it. I mean, it's just a matter of the fact that we didn't have a lot of visibility of LGBTQ people. Yeah. And now we do see more, but we still need more. And sure. we need more in culture. We need more in books. We need sure. more in movies. Yeah. Um, so that was then till three years ago, and things have definitely, you know, improved a hell of a lot since then. Sure. Um, but that that was also there, yeah. You know, that's, so that's that, intense. That's intense. Yeah. That and, you know the th- go yeah, ahead. tell me. No, no, so no. The, you know, they had these these rabid debates on TV. I remember seeing them, and um, there would always be these sort of homophobic people who would justify um, you know, as a being gay is abnormal or it's right. a disease from the West. That was their favorite line always. Um, and eventually, oh, their one yeah, their one point of justification or their one way to justify it was by saying, "But you know what? It's criminalized now. They can't do that anymore because it's not right." But they had that weapon at that time, you know. Wow. Um, so, but that's gone, and things have definitely looked up. And you know, it is so. So that was the thing. I wrote the book before um, this before three years ago, right? Before uh, right. Section three seventy seven was. And then you put it yeah, in because that was that's where the book sort of. There's a big turning moment early on when that yeah. appears in the newspaper. Yeah. So, you know, the thing is, I had put it in, but I hadn't made it such a strong focus. Right. And I'd written the book, all of that. And the day Section 377 was knocked down, which, you know, for a lot of people was a second Independence Day. Sure. And there was, there was just, you know, joy on Twitter and social media and all of that. One of the first few people I spoke to was my agent because she had the book. She was reading it. Yeah. I called her and I told her, I said, listen, we need to change it. We need to bring this in now, you know, because it's was such a okay big thing. Was she okay with that? She was perfectly fine with it. She, she was more than happy. In fact, she's been one of the strongest cheerleaders for me from the beginning on a book like this, you know, Bill. Hey, um, I have to say, yeah, I have to say, I, I might have just buckled under earlier when writing it, you right. know. Um, you need someone sometimes to prop you up. You need someone to also help you sort of flesh out your own thoughts because it's all going on in your head. I mean, you think it's interesting, but who knows, you know. You don't know. So, so you don't you, know. <laughs> exactly. So, so you need someone to sort of tell you, yeah, this sounds great. And, you know, let's work on this. So she was 100% on board for it. So we changed just a part of it towards the end. And we amplified a lot of it through the book. It was already there, but it wasn't such a strong uh, sort of soundtrack through the book. Yeah, know? but it's good because it mirrors his liberation. His yeah. you know, it, So it's a good, nice, nice to have the personal and the political kind of mirror one another because it becomes a way. Well, you know, listening to you describe all this, Farhad, I, I've, you know, I've watched the world in America for sure change a lot over the over my lifetime. And I have to remind my kids of it. They don't quite believe what things were like in the dark ages of the 80s. And I really believe that things change that through political action and laws being passed, that's part of it. But I also sure. think it, it happens through personal kindness through articles and through books like yours. And so I hope you can sense that you're a part of that 
gradual evolutionary arc towards what we know to be true, which is there's no need yeah. to reject this one or that one. That you, I hope you see your book as a part of that because it is. Definitely. It actually turned out to be the first gay rom-com from India to be published internationally. Something Ooh, I didn't know at congratulations. all. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. But, you know, I'll tell you something. But when I heard that, of course, I was like, you know, doing like cartwheels in my head because right, I can't actually right. do that. But right. the, the, it also made me question that why don't we have more of queer literature in India? You know, right. what is stopping right. us? And I'll tell you something, Bill, you know, when you were talking about this whole change, I just feel that... Um, Every person who comes out is an activist in their own way because they're changing somebody else's mindset. It could be their friends. It could be their parents. It could be their brothers and sisters, whoever. But you don't have to be this person who goes out and always carries a billboard or, you know, does it. Nope. I just feel if you come out, I mean, if you do that bit for yourself, because coming out is for yourself eventually to lead a better life, right? If you just do that bit, I feel you're a catalyst for change, you know, in some way, in some of small course. way. Of course. And and I think that's, that's what it really brings about. You know, the more people that come out, the more, you know, circles sort of understand around them and, you know, everything sort of merges because everybody is eventually six degrees of separation, that's right. as they say. When you I know. interviewed Armistead Maupin, who was one of the first public figures to come out yeah, in America, I said he was yeah. interviewing him that it occurred to me at that moment as I was going through some changes in my life. I said, Armistead, everybody comes out. Everybody has to come out at some point. Maybe it's as gay. Maybe it's as a nonfiction writer instead of a fiction writer. But everybody mm. has to figure out who they actually are, not who they thought they were when they were a kid. There's usually a difference. There's usually a difference between what you are and what you thought you needed to be to be okay. I think that is like one of the great universal human truths of who are yeah. you? Who are you actually yeah. in your own heart? But, you know, that's the thing, Bill. I mean, definitely that should be how it is. But there's so many people, there's so many guys. I mean, I know of instances who are caught in this marriage, who are married. Sure. Who don't, you know, they live this life of misery. It's so sad. I mean, they're doing this to please their parents, but they're not happy. The wife is not happy. The parents are not happy because they see them unhappy. <laughs> Nobody's happy. But we're but doing it. Continue. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, they just choose to live this life of misery. It's really pretty sad. Yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, you have to have that within you to say that, you know what, I want a better life. Like, I want to come out and just lead a happier life for myself. It's not coming out for your parents. or it's not coming. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, you come out for friends or you come. Out. It's not. No. It's just coming out for yourself. Oh, it's it's, for yourself. Yeah. You know, um, well, Farhad, you've done a good thing. You've written. A good book. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Clearly, it makes you happy to have written it and to be sharing it. And I'm so happy for you. Congrats. Congrats. Go out and get everybody. It, it's just a fun read, no matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you like love stories. Pick it up. It's awesome. Uh, I got one more question for you, however. Here's what I want mm. you to do. I want you to think about all the writing you've done, the journalism, the not journalism, the books. Think of all the writing you've done, if it's taught you anything, it's taught you what? It's taught me to just say what's on my mind. Yeah. You know, it's allowed me that. I think it's allowed me that. Has it taught uh, you how I'm, to do it in a way? Like, this is how you actually yeah, do it? Yeah, I mean, you definitely get better. The more you do it, you definitely, the more you write, you know, you get better at writing. Yeah. That's really how it works, frankly. Um, but I think initially you, you are pretty held back when you write. There is more artifice 
Uh, there yeah. is more um, layering and stuff like that. And I think it's only when you do a lot more and you learn to let go, do you sort of let the layers out, you know, even in journalism, like it just becomes easier to then just write it straightforward rather than um, sort of, you know, uh, how do I say, like sort of putting on this bodysuit sure. of, you know, fancy words and stuff like that to just make it sound more interesting. But yeah, I think it, I think the best thing about it is it's allowed me to just speak my mind because I've written about some pretty crazy topics. I, I wrote a lot about sex. I was even a sex columnist uh, with under another name. <laughs> and it was, it, it, yeah, it was just fun to do. And I, and I think that's what, that's the beauty of journalism. It's just fun to do. It keeps you, it keeps you going. It, I mean, uh, I mean, writing a book is a bigger canvas and that's also great, but journalism just really keeps you going it's like that engine that just keeps you going because you're constantly on the ball and it's changing you know everything's changing that's so true well farhad thank you so much uh, congratulations on this book and on the others that i'm sure to follow thank you bill this was a great great conversation thank you Say what's on your mind, people. You should do it. Yeah. Say what's on your mind. Can't think of a reason not to, especially on the page. That's where you're invited to do it, free of judgment. Listen, that was a great conversation. Glad I got to share it with you. Uh, I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Glad to hear you're feeling a little better. And to all of you out there, go find something you love to do and do it. Do it.